Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to The Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we're picking out some of the best work available on The Athletic right now and putting the author under the spotlight. Yeah, this week a special report which I'm sure lots of people can relate to from their experience of going to football this season. The sublime Matt Slater on the recent rise in football fan violence, missiles, cocaine and political agendas. Yeah, it's a worrying trend and that immediately makes me think back to the Euro 2020 final at Wembley and fans returning to football stadiums post-lockdown. So I'm looking forward to finding out more from Matt, a great guy to talk to and an expert on this kind of thing. Let's welcome Matt Slater, football news and investigations writer for The Athletic. Matt, good to chat to you again, although I do kind of feel like I only ever get to speak to you when there's fan problems. Oh, yeah, well, hello. Yes, I'm trying to think about the last time. Oh, I know about, yeah, it was Euros. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Well, uh, I'm sorry to be the, the, the bearer <laughs> of bad news. The party pooper. Uh, I know, the bad news bear. Um, pleased to be talking to you about uh, this story, but yes, it is a slightly depressing one. Yeah, I read it last night. I, say, I always say this, I really enjoyed it, but obviously I didn't enjoy the content of it, but I thought the piece was really well put together. For those that don't know, you went to Stoke ahead of the visit of Swansea City and you interviewed Stoke City's Head of Safety Operations, Rob Killingworth. Can you just tell us a little bit about who he is and what his role entails? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of picked that game, because one was it sort of down the road, I live in Macclesfield, and I wanted a kind of routine game. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a very routine game. I'd actually had a few bids in with some other clubs to to shadow people there. Uh, we might get into that <laughs> later on in the interview as to why I'm still waiting for permission. But anyway, Stoke stepped up. Fair play to them. Um, they've got a really well thought of safety operation within the industry. So he is ultimately responsible for the safety of everybody at games. So just to give a, people a sense of, of, of Stoke, you know, championship team, former Premier League side, really nice grounds about 30,000 capacity. It's new, newish anyway. This was, as I said, a, a Tuesday evening game, championship, uh, two mid-table sides. Obviously, Swansea coming from South Wales, it's quite a long drive, so they weren't expecting a massive crowd. This was about as low risk as you get these days. Um, 350 stewards would do that game, of which about half a staff, half for agency. So that's, that's, you know, Rob's in charge. Rob is... 
Rob is ultimately responsible for everybody having a good time and going home safe. And I remember, well, there were lots of things he said that evening that I found really interesting, but there was something that really stuck out in his pre-match briefing when he got all of his senior stewards uh, to to sort of chat and brief them ahead of the game. This was about two hours before kickoff. He said, look, guys. If it goes wrong, I'm the one who sits in call, yeah? I give instructions to you as a team. I give instructions to you as individuals, yeah? We're all one team, we all work together. No matter what coat we wear, who we work for, we are all one team, yeah? And ultimately- I'll be the one responsible. So there was a sort of, you know, he's a lovely guy, but there was a seriousness about what he does. Also, I suppose when you came uh, and, and shadowed him at that game, just the previous week, there had been some incidents. So I suppose, was it quite tense? Was there some nervousness because of that as well? I mean, a little bit. I mean, he said to me it's been a really hard season. He said it's been his hardest season, which is the sort of whole premise of the piece. That's why I was thinking about it anyway. Um, and the week before uh, had been FA Cup fourth round game against Wigan. And, um, it, you know, on paper, there's no recent history of bad blood between Wigan and Stoke. Uh, Wigan are in League One. They're flying high. They brought a lot of fans. I think maybe they sniffed an upset because Stoke had been on a bit of a bad run. Um you know, and people like people love the fourth round of the FA Cup, get a big allocation. Rob's quite frank. You know, Stokes fans didn't behave very well. Um, you know, sort of this this younger element, which I think we are gonna sort of get into in this in this conversation, just sort of misbehaved. There were a couple of rests inside the stadium, which um is is relatively rare. And then there were seven arrests outside afterwards. Um but basically uh, you know, there was a there was a there was a, a fight. So that's sort of nine, you know, nine for a pretty, you know, again, routine-ish cup game that got no attention, got no national attention, this number of arrests. And I was thinking, you know, five, ten years ago, that, that's 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 not great. But it got lost. It got lost amid the other bad stories. Yeah, I mean, one of the things it got lost amongst was probably the the Leicester fan running on the pitch and having a swing at three Nottingham Forest players or three separate swings at Nottingham Forest players whilst they celebrated a goal. I mean, that game, yes, it, it's a local derby, so you expect it to be a, a more heated affair. But just these bad scenes, they're becoming more evident up and down the country. And like you say, nine arrests, that, that is a lot, especially for Stoke v Wigan. And it gets lost because behaviour is so bad elsewhere. Well, well, exactly. So that's that same weekend, there was trouble at uh, Morecambe Bolton, uh, Wimbledon Charlton. There was a fight at uh, a station in London, London Bridge Station. Rotherham Atkinson, there were, you know, fans came onto the pitch and you know assaulted a player, kicked the ball away ahead of a key penalty. Um, and then, of course, everyone saw the Forest Leicester situation because that was on BBC. You know, big, big game that, you know, really kind of shocking scenes, which is, I'll, I'll be honest, all the stewards I spoke to, that's that's their big fear. You know, they're, they're really, really concerned about sort of players getting on the pitch, uh, sorry, fans getting on the pitch. That is a criminal offence, by the way. I think people sort of sometimes forget that. You know, there was, there's just an awful lot going on. And the previous weekend, the EFL themselves have put a statement out about sort of general behaviour. There have been issues at Tranmere, um, uh, Crew, Millwall. I mean, there was just a real list as I was sort of putting together the research for the for the piece and going along with sort of questions to ask Rob and his team. There's just been a lot going on in the last few weeks. And it doesn't paint a particularly um, a positive picture at all. No, no, if I could weekend as well, it was... It was such a good weekend of football. And for all these things to be going on, when, when you know, the FA Cup, you talk about the magic of the Cup, mm. it's maybe lost a bit of that in the last few years. It, it feels like it's starting to get it back. 
but then fans don't behave themselves and that, that takes away from the football a little bit as well. Well, that's right. And I mean, the weekend before, actually, the EFL had specifically made that point because we were having a break from the Premier League, mm. you know, the midwinter break. And this was often sort of seen as the EFL's chance to shine. And, and yet there were incidents at sort of four or five games and it was just sort of like, oh, you know, God, we've got this wonderful story to tell, this sort of rich history, the, the pyramid, which I really think is sort of English football's great selling point, to be honest, in terms of what differentiates us from other places. And yet, yeah, you know, it, it, it's... It leads to this idea of the bad old days, which is a horrible cliche, and I really want to sort of caveat that with it's not the bad old days, but it's inevitable that people start talking in those terms. Oh, oh my word, are we going back to that? We're not. We're really not. But it's inevitable that people start to sort of think along those lines. I, I certainly have my own thoughts on, on why we might be kind of getting a bit more of the these patterns of behavior you spoke to so many different people in the in the piece and what were their thoughts behind why it seems so bad this season well unfortunately the the numbers do kind of speak for themselves so this kind of this conversation we're having right now and you know my piece is one but there's been a few others there's been some quite high profile interviews really started mid-January when the UK Football Policing Unit, which is a sort of strategic unit, which is part of something called the National Police uh, Chiefs Council, which is this organisation of police bosses that sort of is supposed to set strategic leads for, 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 for you know, policing crowds, um, any kind of big strategic issue. And one of them is, is, is policing football. Um, and its boss is a guy called Mark Roberts, who is also the Chief Constable of Cheshire. Uh, he's worked previously in Greater Manchester and South Yorkshire, so you know a senior a senior copper. Now he put out some mid-season stats that said that um, that said incidents at football games this season. So an incident could be anything from pyro to being drunk and disorderly to racial chanting to a fight, a whole range of things. Incidents are up by about a third on 2019-20. So we're sort of skipping 2021 because that was behind closed doors. So the last season that we can really truly compare to. So incidents are up, reported incidents are up by a third. Arrests are up by nearly a half and police are attending a lot more games. So this is quite important to to explain. When they say police are attending games, they mean police inside stadiums. Now, pretty much every game, every game actually, um, you will have at least four coppers. So two from the home team, two from away. And these are your designated football officers, sometimes referred to as spotters, but you know, designated football officers. These are that's their full-time gig, really, to, to, to police their local police team. Now, for higher risk games, clubs will ask and have to pay for police officers to come inside the stadium. Now, there's been a trend over the last, well, 20, 15, 10 years to sort of try to do a lot of that policing with stewards, i.e. to keep the police out because it's cheaper. But we are seeing a trend this season where that's reversing. Now, of course, you have all your police outside policing the roads and, and and the traffic situations and what have you that that's that happens outside that is a that's not a football matter though of course the things are very very closely associated so the, the key thing is these these mid-season arrest and incident statistics very clearly suggested that what we've just been talking about in my previous answer you can see in the numbers around the country mm. incidents and arrests up police attending more games excuse my naive, naivety matt but 
for Premier League teams, I presume paying for extra police, that's, that's not a massive issue. But as you get further down the pyramid, times are hard at the moment. Every penny counts. You know, are these expenses that the lower league teams or the teams lower down the pyramid c- can do without getting policing? I don't, I don't know what kind of money it is. Well, this is this is a, a key part of the debate, to be honest. So the police bill is expensive and football clubs have been pushing back against police bills for, for years. And there's been a number of of quite important, almost almost sort of precedent setting cases. Leeds was a big one. Ipswich was another where they effectively um, refused to pay their local police bills. They, they felt they were being overcharged, that the police, local police forces were, were over-resourcing uh, and um, it was becoming a bit of a sort of cash cow. Now, a lot of those arguments have been have been argued over and fought and done, and 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 we've got to the situation where the if they can, police uh, football clubs will police lightly. They will they don't really want that many police officers in the grounds themselves because they do have to pay. But if it's going to be a high risk game. If it's going to be, you know, if, if there's been a number of incidents, if there's a particular problem part of the ground that your, you know, your your stewards are struggling with, they will, they have to, they have to, and, look, and, and there's no suggestion anywhere that, that I've not heard that clubs are are sort of are trying to skimp on that, are trying to sort of avoid that. In fact, this season they are they are being more cautious. So Rob Killingworth told me that he's 30% over on his police budget for this season. Um, that ordinarily in a season at Stoke, he'd have between six to eight games that he would call police free. Well, the game I went to was only the second he'd had that was going to be police free with just those those four spotters, if you like, two from each club. So, so clubs don't want police to come into the grounds where they have to pay for them if they can at all help it but this season a lot of them are finding that they, they, they really can't help it I think it's about two thirds I think of games have been policed this season when it would normally be about half so again that's another indication of clubs responding to the incidents now one of the issues around this bill so the police have done some research and they think it would probably cost about £47 million a year. I think it was the last year they did it. They only get £7 million, they reckon, from clubs. So there's this idea that police are subsidising football. Again, definitely come back to that because this is really a key, I think, part of the discussion at the moment. Who pays the police bill? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the increase in, in arrests and incidents, and but what are the reasons that, the police and other stakeholders in the game think that this season it's got worse or there's there's more incidents? Well, th- this is where we get into some theory, to be honest, because I have spoken to, I spoke to an awful lot of people for the piece, but I've actually since been contacted by a lot of people who've read the piece and have contacted me to sort of, you know, put their two penneth in as well and their theories. And it's just, it is theories. So, I'm going to list them in no particular order, but just these are these are the common ones that keep coming up. I think the first one that that keeps being posed is this sort of post-lockdown situation that that um, we had sort of eighteen months to two years where we were kind of cooped up. I've already mentioned that we had an entire, pretty much an entire season behind closed doors. So there's this release going on. Um, this you know football is this is is a really important part of our culture it is this sort of carnival element there's this release element um, some academics have taught me through this and it does make sense um that's been the pro- we we've we've not had that now we do people are partying hitting the party perhaps a little bit too hard 
and they you know and, and they're perhaps um some of their some of that is being displaced so whereas it might have been magaluf or or wherever it's it's you're away day now but i think whether you agree with that or disagree with that there are quite some practical issues that lockdown has posed around the policing of football. One is intelligence. So almost everyone I spoke to said good policing, particularly good policing of football, is based on intelligence. You know, knowing who is coming through the door, knowing who your problem fan is, knowing who the key person is in any group. I've got to, I'm going to intervene early. I'm going to have a word here because it's just going the wrong way. That's been broken. So the, the chains of intelligence have been broken. So there's going to be a bit of a relearning exercise going on. I think the other one is that there's been a a big turnover in fans. So it might not seem like a particularly long time, but 18 year, months, two years, you know, some fans are no longer going. Maybe they've lost their jobs. Maybe they don't feel comfortable in crowds yet. And they've been replaced by a younger set of fans who are perhaps acting up because they haven't worked out how to behave yet at football games. There's been a turnover in police. So the police are stretched. We know they are. And they're doing a, They're going through a massive recruiting phase at the moment. So there's a lot of new coppers. You know, how much experience have they got of policing Friday and Saturday nights, football grounds, football get matches? So there's going to be a bit of learning there. And I think a really important one, and everybody, every club I've spoken to have said this, has been the stewards. So an awful lot of stewarding is part-time. And if you had a part-time job where you couldn't do it for two years, basically, you'd do something else, right? And they are. A lot of good stewards have just left the industry. And also, not only that, it's a really crap job. Like, I have friends who've done that job. It's not well paid. You get treated like shit. You get people racially abuse you, push you around. It's not a great job. So if you could go elsewhere and do something else, you're probably going to do it. And I think what happened in the Euros as well wasn't an advert for Stuart recruitment because it's a really not very enjoyable job, especially if you're a young person and you just want a part-time gig, you know? Yeah, well, I, I'm going to push back slightly on that flow because it can be a crap job, but there are lots of things that can be good or bad jobs, depending on sort of how well you're trained, how well you're treated. I was really impressed with what I saw at Stoke. I I, I stewarded when I was at university. I stewarded at, at Headingley Cricket Club. It was quite an easy gig, to be honest. Uh, you know, I did rugby league and uh, cricket games at, at, at Headingley, and um, the cricket crowd was, <laughs> was a doddle. Just stood on the stairs and watched the game. But, I mean, that was a long, long time ago. I There's absolutely no doubt, and I, lots of stewards I spoke to you know, had 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 their war stories, but they were they were a good bunch. They enjoyed it. They liked being part of the club. They got something from that. They got they were in a real sort of sense of kind of being part of something. Um, on pay, well, I asked about that. So it's it's ten pound thirty six an hour for the most junior steward at Stoke. Um, a typical shift would be five and a half hours. Um, you know, so you, you know you're looking at sort of fifty fifty five quid for a, for a shift. Compare that to bar work. But going back to my point about the turnover, they've lost a lot of staff, a lot of more more experienced staff. They could be now doing deliveries. They could now be stewarding at, at, um, at vaccination centres and testing centres. All, all, I heard all kinds of stories. And the agencies that they use are struggling now to supply 
large numbers. So typically Stoke, and I'm sure every club would have a similar story, would maybe rely on four or five agencies. Then having to get 10 to get the same numbers. So there's just a, a big turnover of faces. And I, I just got, I got this sense that the break has had lots of impacts and we get, we've got a bit of catching up to do. Yeah, what I also wanted to ask, Matt, and this is, I don't know if anyone you chatted to mentioned this, but in my experience over the past few years going to football games, I personally feel that the growing right-wing movement across the UK and the way it's sort of infiltrated football grounds a little bit, I think has had an influence as well. And I don't know if any of the police or, or stewards or anyone also mentioned that. It came up. It came up, and, and Brexit came up, um, and there are there are there are people that that do strongly think that. Well, look, there's there's ev- almost everyone agrees that that football mirrors society. That football is just place in society, and and you know there's 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 not much disagreement about that. I, I would say there is no consensus on that flow. That that there you know some people think that it's an issue. Some people talked about, you know, just how discourse in our country's got quite coarse, and they talked about social media and just the way we treat each other, how angry we can get sometimes. How... But then someone else would say, "Well, you know, no, I'm not really sure about that." Here, here are two or three more practical things, and they would come back to things like, "Well, we've just lost loads of good stewards. Police have got to kind of, you know, rebuild the intelligence again." Um, they'd look at the sort of the profile of fans and say they just sort of seem younger. And we can't quite work out, but they are drinking. They're getting. They're just basically arriving absolutely hammered. Um, is that so different than anything we see on a Friday and Saturday night in the in the, in the nighttime economy? Th- those are the things I think I heard more often. But I I would stress that that wasn't one of if you like the top three four causes that I heard. Mm. Before we head for a quick break, I'll throw in my one of my reasons as well, Matt. I mean, I'm not an academic at all, but I'll throw it in anyway and see what you think of it. I would say that we live in a world at the moment in the UK where the government seems to be able to do exactly what they want with very little consequence so that the general public feel that they've got a right to do the exact same thing and think that there'll be no consequences for them. That came up as well, Dan. It did. Okay. It, it came up I'm as not, sort of... I told you I wasn't an no, academic. No, no, no. I mean, that one actually probably came up more than Brexit. The, the, it, it was sort of part of this lockdown theory you know what has lockdown meant for 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 many people it's been a pain in the ass we've been cooped up we're bored we've been told that here's a set of rules you've got to follow oh but people aren't following them all right does that mean that i don't have to follow any rules if someone tells me to get out of the stairwell or tells me i can't drink in sight of the ground or you know some other things that i don't think are that important can i ignore them as well Yeah, makes sense. Let's head for a quick break then. Plenty more chat coming up after these messages. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It's terrible, you know, because uh, we thought it was one of our fans coming to celebrate with us. So we kind of, even though we're not supposed to, we kind of, you know, like grabbed him in and, and, and wanted to share our joy with him. And then suddenly he started punching away and it was lit. Like it was a bit shocking, but it's things that shouldn't happen in football, and it's just sad because uh, there's so many good fans that doesn't behave uh, badly. So yeah, hopefully this guy will will not see a football match for a long time. But uh... Matt, I think the like maybe a, a lot of young people now. I'm not massively keen on you know, over-policing and, and you know, criminalising a lot of things. And I found it really interesting how towards the end of your piece, there's actually a bit of pushback on what Mark Roberts has, has put together in the report from an academic who essentially kind of called him out and said he's been on a bit of a PR campaign to get more resources and that we ne- shouldn't necessarily be believing what he's been saying on on Five Live and and other radio stations. Well, it was actually a couple of academics that um, that pretty much made those points. One made them stronger than the other, which is the, the bit you're remembering. And they they were to, for people to go on the record like that and sort of basically say the guy's wrong, <laughs> worse than wrong. He's an idiot. Uh, yeah, I quite, felt sorry for him. Yeah, quite they're quite <laughs> rare. The, the guy actually is an ex-policeman that, that made those comments. A guy called Owen West. He you can you can find him on um, you can find him on Twitter. I think he's called. I think he handles policing crowds. I mean that's his area of expertise. Um, and then another guy I spoke to is a professor of law at University of Manchester. Uh, and the two of them were actually involved in a um, very progressive policing um, research project called Enable. I, I would almost sort of say as being the kind of model for policing football over the last sort of decade or so, which is this kind of lighter touch, police outside the stadiums, doing it with stewards approach that's being challenged this year, frankly, because of the, the behaviour has deteriorated. Now, the, the point around Roberts himself is interesting. He has this, this job title, he's a sort of national police lead for policing, but there's a lot of disagreement about what he should actually do and how involved he should get, because the actual policing of football games We've actually got a, a pretty well-established system now, and, and many people think it's 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 you know one of the best, and people people come and, and look at it. They're, they're based on safety advisory groups where football clubs have to kind of have this ongoing dialogue with their with their local council, with their local police force, with their local you know emergency services. You know your 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 pitch, your your ground is given safety certificate, and that's all kind of overseen by this government body called the Sports Ground Safety Authority. Um, there are various agencies that are kind of constantly monitoring that you are that you are doing the right things, and you are looking after people, and you are taking this stuff seriously. And and some people do wonder, you know, why Roberts gets so involved in some issues. Now he would argue. And I've spoken to him, and uh, he he did argue um, that you know his job is to sort of set this kind of a over you know this overview. You know he does care about all policing, not just single police forces or single clubs. He's looking at the numbers. He's saying the behaviour is deteriorating. That's a fact. You know here's 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 why I think it is. And his his big thing is that he thinks camera use is rife. Uh, he thinks I think he thinks football's got a bit complacent to be honest. Um, as you would imagine, you know, as a sort of police chief, he's very into the res- proper resourcing. So he's the one that keeps he's made this point about football effectively being subsidised by the police force, the tune of forty million, and he finds that 
really hard off the back of a transfer window when they spend 300 million in the Premier League alone. That is a high number. I'm astonished by that number. Yeah. Sorry to well, go back. I mean, I'm the, really surprised. The, the, the flip side, though, that I think football would point out is the Premier League um, pays about 3.6 billion in, in tax a year. And some of that will find its way into police budget. So, look, the the money one is 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 a is a long running, which would be a different show about where responsibilities stop. And if there's a road that shuts outside because of the police game, who actually is in charge for policing that? Who paying the bill for that? That's an interesting one. Um, so, look, the the money's one thing, but Roberts has has come out very hard on a number of issues in the last year or so and been ignored. So he came out quite hard for neutral venues in Project Restart. If you remember when they were working out when to restart season 19, no, 2021, one of the ideas was that you go with these neutral venues so that this was the kind of Liverpool, Leeds, you know, worried about fans coming and going, being outside. He thought there'd be riots and, they, and he pushed hard for these neutral venues. People ignored him and, you know, and, and, and they were proven right and there was no real problems, right? Um, another one was safe standing. He's been, a, been, been, I would say, a safe standing sceptic. I mean, he, he actually caveats his position a bit and says, look, he just wants it done X, Y, and Z first. You know, more CCTV, more monitoring of who's in there, that kind of thing. So he's been he's been a he's been very wary of safe standing, and the the most recent one. This was part of the Tracy Couch review, the fan led review that were lots of people talked about just before Christmas. She had an idea of relaxing the very long ban on the sale of alcohol inside the or well or drinking alcohol inside of a football pitch. So you can drink on the concourse, but you can't drink whilst watching the game like you can at rugby or cricket or music concerts at football or non-league football. So there's a there's gonna be some pilots around dropping that in League One and League Two and National League, I think. He thinks that's madness. He actually thinks it's madness, it's ridiculous. He's very, very strongly against that. And he's been he's been ignored. So there is this idea that the stats, the series of interviews he's given, he gave two big long interviews to the BBC last week, the day I went to to the game at Stoke Swansea, um, where he was very strong on what he thought was going wrong and how complacent football was. Uh, or has been, and he even referred to the Football Sports Association, the largest sort of football sports group in the country, as sometimes being apologists for hooligans, which went down badly. So he he has made these points, and there's been pushback. There's been pushback, and and what I am hearing quite widely, actually, since even since writing the piece, more widely, um, is that football might agree with the message, but they've. They don't like the messenger. He's lost them. He's lost the industry, and that's that's not good. It's sort of this crying wolf thing. Oh, every time Roberts again. Oh, here we go again, mm. and it's not helping. And just before we finish, like more sensible general match going fans that that aren't there to cause trouble or don't cause trouble, are they showing that they won't stand for this this current uprising in trend as well? That's the big hope. So that is one of the the often that comes up that how do we how did we get over the bad old days i mentioned them a few answers ago how do we get over that well it was lots of things right we we the stadiums got better cctv uh, stewarding policing um you know umpteen reasons the, the game got bigger got more middle class one thing was self policing and you hear this a lot from sensible decent 
supporters, you know, trusts and the fanzine movement and all this sort of thing, right? The self-policing, you know, just not standing for, for anti-social behaviour, obnoxious behaviour, you know, turn it in, pack it in, you know, mm. sit down, put the beer down. Don't wave, you know, don't wave that marine flare in my face. You know, there are kids here. You know, what are you doing? Just those little yeah. interventions, those those are a thousand and one tiny interventions that that would just keep everything on the right side of, of, of fun. There, there's some bad behaviour here that I think we can all agree is out of order. Yeah. Let's 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 pack it in. And what I find really difficult is that in my experience, when I've done that or friends have done that, you get told potentially quite aggressively to fuck off and mm, you're a fun mm-hmm. sponge and if you don't like it, don't come to the game, etc., etc. So I think it's really difficult to put that responsibility on families, on potentially minorities who you know might, might already feel unwelcome that you now have to be part of this rather than the responsibility of those who are who are behaving that way to not do it. I think that's what's really difficult. And I personally think, in my experience, I don't think the clubs do enough to to set the tone. They they can do that across in the stadiums, online especially. I think they only they only ever s- step out and say something when there's someone on the pitch, you know, and they'll say this person's been banned from the stadium for X amount of years. And you reference a couple of that in in your piece, uh, especially what was it in Accrington Stanley recently when that player, that fan came on the pitch just before someone mm. was to take a penalty. So I feel like clubs release statements around disorder when something extreme happens. But beyond that, you never see them really make any proactive effort to encourage, you know, better behaviour, better community spirit amongst the fan base. And I think that it it could make a huge difference because I don't necessarily think it should be the responsibility of the police to criminalise everything or create a hostile atmosphere through policing when actually a lot of the clubs and the fans could be doing that themselves, of which some of that is self-policing, but I think it is really intimidating as a fan. And I'd be interested to see... I'm sure in the comments, and I'll take a look uh, after this, is that, you know, perhaps fans in the comments have said, I've done it and, it, you know, it has worked. But from my experience, it's pretty fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would understand that. It is hard. If you're, if you're, you know, if there's 30, 40 drunk, you know, let's be honest, usually male, young guys, acting up messing around spoiling it. it it takes a brave person to tell him to turn it in because you are going to get at the very least at the very least a load of cheek you're, you're right I mean I think the good clubs are engaging better so again I was impressed with Stoke they've got a supporters council there there's a lot of democracy about how they do that you know when they hold these meetings that will be around the type of issues that fans care about you know lighting pricing travel away travel um food and beverage all that sort of stuff there's there is really good engagement there they'll bring down someone senior so it's not just some some sort of junior person they'll bring it they'll bring a chief exec in they'll bring you know, whoever whoever is the relevant person will come and talk and they hold these meetings quite regularly i know lots of other clubs are doing it now as well um so I'm still optimistic. I'm still. I, I still hope that this is a bit of a blip. This is a bit of a post-lockdown weird period, and things will settle down. I'll, pretty much, most people I spoke to think that that is the case. 
that this will get better, will get better on its own. You know, it's going to require um, some closer cooperation. This is where I do have sympathy for Roberts. I think, you know, his his points... And while he has lost people from some of his previous statements, I think he's on. He's on. You know, his central message is right, guys. Look, look at the numbers. Look, look at the TV screens. Look at the social media feeds of your clubs. They are issuing statements. I'm not making this up. He's not making it up. I've seen it with my own eyes. I go. Mm. I, I'm not a beat reporter. I take my kids to games all over the place. I, mm. I'm, you know, I'm a paying customer. And I, you know, I, maybe it's my age. Maybe it's because I'm going with my kids. I've noticed it. I have noticed it. I do hope things will work their way through. But right now, as we're having this conversation, this is a live topic that has been taken very seriously by all clubs, all the leagues. The government are, are on it. The police are certainly on it. It's just a complicated picture because people don't agree on the, the causes, the most serious causes, and they don't necessarily agree on if there's a silver bullet. I think they probably think it's a little bit of everything, but self-policing is definitely a big part of it. It's a shame, really, because, I mean, I'm the same as you. I, I, I pay to go to the football. I'm a season ticket holder. I was I, I go to every away game that I can get to work depending, and I was at Villa's first game of the season away at Watford, and Villa were terrible, but... Everyone was just so pleased to be back after so long seeing each other again and it was a really positive and good atmosphere and I thought because everyone's missed going, it would it would just be that, that everyone would be pleased to be there and not want any trouble and never want this to be taken away from us again. But it it has gone the other way, unfortunately, from, from what you're saying and like you say, the facts are absolutely there. But we haven't solved anything today, but it, it's been brilliant to talk to you, Matt. And next time something goes wrong, I look forward to talking to you on this podcast again. <laughs> well, some good news maybe. I'll try to think of a, a good news story. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Still time to highlight some of the other great writing that's up on The Athletic right now. Flo? 
Dad, I know when you love it when I toot my own horn, um, but I'm, I'm going to talk about a Villa piece because last week oh. I sat down with Carla Ward, uh, the manager of Aston Villa Women, and we had a really amazing, kind of really open and honest discussion about what it's like being a football manager and the way that impacts your relationships with your loved ones, the way that impacts being a parent. Um, and it was a really, really tough discussion, but I could relate to it a lot just from working in football. I'm sure lots of people who who work in the industry as well can relate to the fact that it is extremely demanding. You know, you work most weekends, work evenings, long days. There's a very finite window when you won't be working and you can have a holiday because obviously the season's so long. So it's really difficult. And then you sort of times that by 10 when you're a football manager and you're on Zoom calls and phone calls until 2am trying to sign players. And, you know, you're also trying to, to be there as a, as, a, as a partner and a parent. So a really amazing discussion. And I feel like a lot of people could relate to it. And I really enjoyed writing it. So that's I'm going to, um, yeah, big myself up this week because I know you love it I mean I, ha- I haven't I haven't read it yet I mean, I'm so disappointed not to get an invite to the <laughs> sorry chat. I couldn't next bring, time I couldn't bring myself to read it but I will read it today because yeah, I did that is on my list of, of things to do actually I would, would really like to read that because I've got a lot of time for Carla and I like what she's doing with Aston Villa women Rob Tanner's been writing about Yuri Tillemans' future at Leicester as well I mean a lot going on at Leicester at the moment a few things in there that I wasn't aware of so if you haven't read that piece yet it's well worth looking at what's going on with one of the best midfielders in the Premier League in my opinion and a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. Save 33% on a full subscription today by visiting theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Brilliant. Thanks as always to you, Flo, and our thanks goes to Matt Slater as well. He will, of course, be back on this feed along with Mark Chapman doing the business of sport tomorrow. They'll be talking about the future of the Winter Olympics, so make sure you do catch that. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening as well. Please, please get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And why not leave us a review if you've got the time as well? This was The Athletic Football Podcast, and we hope you'll join us again. The Athletic.